And we just said today at breakfast, you know, how Ayasantusika is very good as the most dry suttas. She can make it into an interesting story. That's a very special gift Ayasantusika has. Well, I don't know about that, but... No, definitely. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> how it goes. Yeah. I, I hear the suttas so differently when you... Um, you know, when you present them, yeah, they become alive. They come alive, rather. Yeah. Yeah, I think as we learn to read the suttas and we start to understand how to deal with all the repetition and the terminology and so on, and we really stay focused on how do I apply this, how does this work, uh, now, now in this day and age, and um, for me personally in my life, then I then I think we we get that mm. that skill going. That's something I think we can all do. No, I don't think you know everybody can do it the way you you can do it. No, <laughs> she's embarrassing. Am I turning red? Yeah. No. Anyway, today we're gonna shift gears a little bit because we've been talking very much about personal practice and how to develop the mind and all of those things that are crucial um, to living in a world on fire. But the sutta this morning is going to take the broader view of the world and how, how um, human beings can be organized or um, governed in a way that's actually beneficial and supportive and leads to a better world and we can really consider the situation we find ourselves in uh, these days so I'm gonna jump right into it because we've got um, a pretty long sutta to look at oh. So I think I need to go. Mm -hmm. I can do it. Okay. <clears throat> I think it is sharing. Oh, it. Can you see the sutta? I think one. But if one changes the thing, one has to funny enough. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna do it again. Yeah. Okay. Great. Now you, now you can see the sutta probably. Okay, so <clears throat> this is from the Long Discourses, and it uh, fits the collection it belongs in, being long, and it's called The Wheel-Turning Monarch. So there's this idea in, uh, in ancient India, and in, particularly in Buddhism, that there is this a kind of special kind of... Um, place for a leader that really leads based on Dhamma and is extremely powerful, but powerful because of the willing consent of everyone under their uh, authority. And so and you might remember that when the Buddha was born, um, the, the sort of uh, seer that took a look at this new baby said that there are two options for this child either to become a Buddha or to become a wheel-turning monarch. And that had all the signs um, that he could 
<clears throat> have done this. And we see this reference in other places, many places in the suttas, really. And so here the Buddha starts by uh, talking to the mendicants. And he's saying, he's uh, in Magadha, he's saying that mendicants, you should live as your own island, your own refuge, with no other refuge. This is also something he repeats and talks about a lot uh, just before he's going to die, to try to help people stand on their own uh, without his constant presence. <clears throat> and he's, he's saying this, the Dhamma is really what you need to look to. Uh, that's what you need to use as your entire basis. And how do you do that? Well, what we see here is uh, the foundations of mindfulness. So he's, instead of pointing at the entire Noble Eightfold Path, he's really putting the emphasis on mindfulness. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't, he, of course, uh, always we need to use the whole Eightfold Path together. Mindfulness alone is not enough. But he, here he says, that the four foundations of mindfulness is really how you um, let the Dhamma be your island and refuge with no other refuge. And he says you should roam inside your own territory, the domain of your fathers. And this is a, an, an interesting reference that it will come back to later in this in this story. So <clears throat> there's a, a few, there are a couple of places where the Buddha uses a, a simile around this. One is the simile of the quail. The hawk catches a quail and he, he says, um, and, and the quail says, you know, I shouldn't have roamed outside my territory, the territory of my ancestors. If I had stayed in my territory, you wouldn't have caught me. And the hawk is really cocky and says, Oh, okay, let me, where's your territory? Oh, it's that field with all the clods of earth on it. He says, okay, he lets them go. He said, I'll get you anyway. And, uh, and the quail, you know, the, the hawk is, goes back up and he's circling and the quail is watching and the quail, you know, the hawk is coming for him. And the quail, at the last minute, dives under a clod of earth. And the hawk hits the ground instead of catching the quail. And, and it's like it, the Buddha is saying, stay in, in mindfulness, then you're safe. If you stay in your domain of following the Dhamma, then you're safe. But if you go outside of that, then you're in danger. And so this is how it starts. And then the Buddha starts to tell this story about King Dalanami. And he says, once upon a time. Now this is kind of an interesting uh, way of translating what uh, Bhante, this is Bhante Sujato. Once upon a time, there was this king named Dalanami. And he was a wheel-turning monarch. He was a just and principled king. His dominion extended to all four sides. He achieved stability in his country and possessed the seven treasures. This is a, also an idea that 
um, we see frequently in the suttas. These treasures are the wheel. Now the wheel, the wheel treasure, it's not just uh, having wheels on uh, cars, wagons, whatever. It's, um, it's, it's a symbol that leads this king. And uh, it has a supernatural kind of power. Elephants, horses, jewels, a woman, a good woman, someone who is really um, upright, uh, following the Dhamma, a treasurer who's really upright and honest, a counselor who's really wise and honest and following the Dhamma. And you know, this is in accordance with any of us uh, being surrounded by people of integrity and wisdom. And he has over a thousand sons who are valiant and heroic. <laughs> well, he must have had quite the harem, I gotta say, or, you know, again, a thousand is just a huge amount, uh, not necessarily uh, an exact number. But then this idea of crushing the armies of his enemies, doesn't this kind of go in conflict of the uh, idea of ruling in a peaceful way? And it certainly sounds horrendous. So I, I, we, it, I'm going to just leave that aside. This is the stock um, wording that you see in the suttas. Um, I, don't, I hope it doesn't imply that first there's carnage and then there's uh, peace. But that is the case of the one king, uh, emperor, I guess we could say, that followed this teaching, King Ashoka. He was very um, brutal and bloody-handed and sent armies out to conquer in every direction. And then they came up, there came a point where he saw how horrible that was, and he really turned to Buddhism and took on this, um, this teaching that the Buddha gave about the wheel-turning monarch. So we'll see how this works as we go, and maybe we can re uh, sort of reconcile this idea of crushing armies of his enemies in a, in a moment. So he's, he's got this, the land from sea to sea under his domain, and he reigns by a principle, and here principle is Dhamma. He reigns by Dhamma without sword, without rod, without weapons, without force. And this story is also at a time when lifespans were incredibly long, thousands of years for one lifespan. And after many hundreds, many thousands of years has passed, the king says to one of his, um, one of his people, when you see the heavenly wheel treasure, so that symbol that, um, you know, often you see it on monasteries, the, the wheel with all of its spokes. It's like the Dhamma wheel. And <clears throat> it's, it's hanging somewhere, and we'll see more references to it in a minute. When you see that it has receded back from its place, please tell me. And also, may I say something, you know, because when we were chanting the Dhamma, Chaka Pavatana Sutta, setting in motion the wheel of Dhamma, mm -hmm. and it's often like a Dhamma wheel with the, with the two deer on each side, yeah. you know, because that was, it was taught in the deer bark uh, in Sarayana, <coughs> so I'm, and on all monasteries, 
Tibetan and otherwise, you know, you can always see that. Yeah, often there's yeah. <clears throat> there's that up, up someplace high uh, on a wall. Mm. Yeah, we had it in uh, Aloka Vihara too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, after uh, many thousand years had passed, the man saw that the heavenly wheel treasure had receded back from its place. And so he went to the king and he said, Please, sire, you should know that it's receded. The, the heavenly wheel treasure has receded back from its place. So the king summoned his probably eldest son, the crown prince, and he said, Dear prince, my heavenly wheel treasure has receded back from its place. I've heard that when this happens to a wheel-turning monarch, he does not have long to live. I've enjoyed human pleasures, and now it's time for me to seek heavenly pleasures. He's going to cram for the final. That's what this means. Come, dear prince, rule this land surrounded by the ocean, and I'll shave off my hair and my beard, and I'll put on robes, and I'll go forth from the lay life into homelessness. So after carefully instructing the crown prince in kingship, the king does exactly that. He takes up the holy life. And seven days later, the heavenly wheel treasure vanishes. And the new king is very worried. And so he goes to um, what, we call, what we're now calling the royal sage, his father, who has picked up the holy life. And he says, please, sire, you should know that the heavenly wheel treasure has vanished. And when he said this, the royal sage said, well, don't be unhappy at the vanishing of the wheel treasure. My dear, the wheel treasure is not inherited from your father. And this is, a, there's a little footnote here from Bhante Sujato that says this, this phrase calls back to the four Satipatthanas that for the mendicant are the, quote, domain of your fathers or the domain of your ancestors. In both cases, these things are not uh, conferred by lineage, they're earned. And so this is, this is now the, the, the new king has to earn this wheel treasure. So <clears throat> he says, come now, proceed in the noble duty of a wheel-turning monarch. So if you act like a wheel-turning monarch and you really fulfill that um, goodness, then he says it's possible that on a holy day when you're observing the Sabbath, and it's interesting to kind of call it Sabbath, but you know, you get the idea, then the heavenly wheel treasure will appear to you with its thousand spokes, with rim and hub, complete in every detail. Now, he doesn't say it will, he says it might, it's possible. So... He, he say will, yeah, I can see it. Sorry. Okay, but up here he says it's possible that it yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. It's possible that yeah. it will. It's okay. a little hard because this sentence is so long. Right, you can. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me. So, the son asks, well, what is the noble duty of the wheel-turning monarch? Well then, my dear, relying on the Dhamma, 
honoring, respecting, and venerating the Dhamma. Having the Dhamma as your flag, banner, and authority provide just protection and security for your court, your troops, aristocrats, vassals, Brahmins, and householders, for all the people of the towns and the country, ascetics and Brahmins, beasts and birds. And King Ashoka did this. He even had animal hospitals set up. Um, it was it was probably one of the most beautiful examples of a, a just and compassionate ruler in all of our time uh, in human history. Do not let injustice prevail in the realm. Provide money to the penniless in the realm. So you give the poor what they need to have a, a decent life. And... I'm not sure where Sujato says it. I think we're going to see a little later, but let me take a look at this footnote here. Um, provide um, is used elsewhere in a sense of paying back a loan. No, I don't think this is the one. King providing provisions for essential workers to do their job. Um, but this is more than a fulfilling a moral obligation of fairness. Um, this is more about fulfilling a moral obligation of fairness than it is about charity. So this is the distinction that's useful. And there's, there's more later. But it's like this idea that it's, this is not just to be charitable. This is what you're supposed to do. This is re really part of what your job is, making sure people have a good living. There are ascetics and Brahmins in the realm who avoid intoxication and negligence, they're settled in patience and gentleness, and who tame, calm, and extinguish themselves. So they're, they're in, becoming enlightened, or they are enlightened. And from time to time, go to them and ask, what is skillful? What is unskillful? What is blameworthy? What is blameless? What should be cultivated and what should not be cultivated? So this comes back to the teachings we've been looking at. You know, so this, he's staying to this, you know, how to be a wheel-turning monarch. You have to practice the Dhamma. You have to learn, you know, develop that wisdom. Do what leads to, you know, what can I do that would lead to my lasting welfare and happiness? And having heard them, you should reject what is unskillful and undertake and follow what is skillful. So again, like the, the echo throughout the suttas is, we actually have a, a real task before us to develop ourselves in this way. And here, for someone who's going to rule over so many people and take care of so many people, this is essential. So then, um, the, the new um, king proceeds with his duty. And on the 15th day, Sabbath, he washes his head and he goes upstairs in the royal longhouse and observe, observes the Sabbath. And the heavenly wheel treasure appears with its thousand spokes, with rim and hub, complete in every detail. And seeing this, the king thinks, I've heard that when the heavenly wheel treasure appears to a king in this way, he, has, he becomes a wheel-turning monarch. Am I then a wheel-turning monarch? And the king rises from his seat, arranges his robe over his shoulder, takes a ceremonial vase in his left hand, and sprinkles the wheel treasure with his right hand. Roll forth, O wheel treasure. Triumph, O wheel treasure. 
So then the wheel treasure rolls towards the east, and the king follows it with all of his four uh, divisions of army. And whatever place the wheel treasure goes to, the king comes there to stay with his army, and any opposing rulers of the eastern quarter come to the wheel-turning monarch and they say, Come, great king, welcome. We are yours, great king, instruct us. The wheel-turning monarch said, Do not kill living creatures. So first of all, before we get into his, um, you know, instructing them in the five precepts, can you imagine someone so great, so just, so wonderful, that everyone would just say, could you please take over our country? It'll be so much better if you're in charge here. You know, This is what's happening here. They see the amazing goodness of this person, and, uh, and they want that leadership. And that's how he you know, takes over so much vast territory. And so when he does, he tells people to keep the five precepts. And also to maintain the current level of taxation. So taxes are essential. Everything costs money. If you want to have social support, you have to pay taxes. But it has to be done in a just way. And so this is what, you know, they're saying, don't raise the taxes. You know, keep it at a, at a workable level. Make sure everybody prospers. Then the whale treasure plunges into the eastern ocean, emerges again, goes to the south, goes to the west, etc., in every direction. And the same thing happens. And the king gives the people the, the, tr the training, the teaching, to keep the five precepts and maintain the current level of taxes. So the wheel treasure, having triumphed over this land surrounded by ocean, returns to the royal capital. And there it stood still by the gate of the royal compound at the high court, as if fixed to an axle, illuminating the royal compound. So it, it puts itself up at the top, and it's just glowing over the whole royal area. Now... This continues generation after generation for thousands of years, one after another, it says, for seven times. And then we have a change. The, um, the wheel, seven, so the wheel vanishes and a certain man approaches the new king and he says it's vanished and the king is unhappy but he doesn't go to the royal sage and ask about the noble duty of the wheel turning monarch he just governs the country according to his own ideas and so the people don't prosper like before and as um, as they had done in the previous realm, uh, um, when the previous kings were in leadership. So the ministers and counselors and the treasury officials and military officers and guardsmen and professional advisors gathered, and they say to the king, Sir, 
When governed according to your own ideas, the country's people do not prosper like before, as they did when former kings proceeded in the noble duty of the wheel-turning monarch. In your realm are found ministers, counselors, treasury officials, etc., who remember how it should be. We remember the noble duty of the wheel-turning monarch. Please ask us about it, and we'll answer you. So it's interesting that they don't just tell him. And this you find all throughout the suttas. The Buddha doesn't just tell people things. He gets them to ask because they are then giving the permission to be told. Then they're ready to hear. This is something that's good to take into our own practice. So, not saying that I'm able to do that all the time, by the way, but that's <laughs> important to try. So then... He says, oh, he, he, um, he listens to them. He provides just protection and security, but he doesn't give money to the penniless. He doesn't take care of the, the poor people. So poverty grows widespread. And this footnote Sujato says, ensuring citizens have enough to live on is not merely a matter of kindness and common decency, but it's crucial to, the, to in, ensure stability and national unity. So when poverty was widespread, someone stole something from others with the intention to commit theft. They arrested him and presented him to the king. Your majesty, this person stole from others with the intention to commit theft. The king says, why did you do, did you do this? And he, and he says, yes, it's true, I did this. What was the reason? Sir, I can't survive. So the king provided some money to that person. With this money, mister, keep yourself alive, provide for your mother and father, partners and children, work after work for a living, and establish an uplifting religious donation for ascetics and Brahmins that's conducive to heaven, ripens in happiness, and leads to heaven. So here, here you have enough to do what you, need, what you should do with, with money. So he says yes, but then another person steals, and the same thing happens. Now people start to hear about this. It seems the king is providing money to anyone who steals from others. And it occurs to them, why don't we steal from others? <laughs> so then another man stole something from others, and they arrested him. And, you know, the same kind of dialogue, did you do it? Yes. For what reason? I can't survive. And then the king thinks, if I provide money to anyone who steals from others, it will only increase the stealing. I'd better make an end of this person, finish him off, chop off his head. I know it's cringeworthy. So he orders this to be done. He said, tie this man's arms tightly behind his back with a strong rope, shave his head, march him through the street, from street to street and square to square, to the beating of a harsh drum. Then take him out of the south gate and make an end of him. Finish him off. Chop off his head. And they do it. And people hear about this. It seems the king is chopping off the head of anyone who steals from others, and it occurs to them. 
We'd better have sharp swords made. Then when we steal from others, we'll make an end of them, finish them off, chop off their heads. And they had sharp swords made. And they started to make raids on villages and towns and cities and infest the highways. And they chopped off the heads of anyone they stole from. It's pretty gruesome. But the idea being what happens at the top, and I don't know if you've seen this in organizations, schools, wherever, what happens at the top filters down. People follow. Unless they're really established in their own morality, they're likely to follow the leadership. So by not providing money to the penniless, poverty became widespread. When poverty was widespread, theft became widespread. When theft was widespread, swords became widespread. When swords were widespread, killing living creatures became widespread. And for the sentient beings among them, killing was widespread. Their lifespan and beauty declined. Those people lived for 80,000 years, but their children lived for 40,000 years. When the people who lived for 40,000 years, a certain person stole something from others and they arrested him, etc. And then, your majesty, this person stole, etc. But then, when he asks him if he stole, he, he lies. No, sir. So now lying has started. First, we just had stealing. And because of lying starting, people who lived 40,000 years had children who then lived only 20,000 years. So the Buddha takes this down through every um, part of the 10 unwholesome things. In the people who lived 20,000 years, someone turned somebody in who stole. And this is where backbiting starts. And then they their children only lived 10,000 years. Some were beautiful and some were ugly who lived only 10,000 years. And the ugly ones, it says here, coveting the beautiful ones commit adultery with the wives of others. So now we have sexual misconduct. And the people who lived 10,000 years, their children only lived 5,000 years. So we see the the lifespan going down and down and down. In the people who live only 5,000 years, two things became widespread, harsh speech and talking nonsense. For the sentient beings among whom these two things were widespread, their lifespan, their lifespan and beauty declined. They lived 5,000 years. Their children lived 2,500 years or 2,000 years. And among those who lived 2,500 years, desire and ill will became widespread, and their children only lived 1,000 years. And those who lived 1,000 years, wrong view became widespread, and their children only lived 500 years. And among the people who lived 500 years, three things became widespread, illicit desire, immoral greed, and wrong customs. For the sentient beings among these three things, among whom these three, three things were widespread, their lifespan and beauty declined. 
for those who lived 200, um, who lived 500 years, then their children only lived 250 years. And among the people who lived for 250 years, these things became widespread, lack of due respect for mother and father, ascetics and Brahmins, and failure to honor the elders of the family. So from not providing money to the penniless, all these things became widespread. Poverty, theft, swords, killing, lying, backbiting, sexual misconduct, harsh speech, and talking nonsense, desire and ill will, wrong view, illicit desire, immoral greed, and wrong custom and lack of due respect for mother and father, ascetics and Brahmins, and failure to honor the elders in the family. For the sentient beings among whom these things were widespread, their lifespan and beauty declined. Those people who lived for 250 years had children who lived for 100 years. Now we're getting even shorter lifespans. Or there will be, says the Buddha. <clears throat> there will come a time when these people will have children who live for 10 years. So I think this is where Bhante Sajato's footnotes become kind of like looking at how is this applying to our, to our time now. He says here the Buddha paints a devastating picture of societal collapse. Life expectancy as low as 30 years has been recorded in some countries in the 20th century. So, you know, one of the things that we are facing in this world of climate chaos is the collapsing of, of societies. And the, the reduction of lifespan. Among the people who live 10 years, girls will be marriageable at 5. And so the footnote here is the age of the onset of puberty has been dropping globally over the past century with isolated cases as young as five. The following flavors will disappear. Ghee, butter, oil, honey, molasses, and salt. The best kind of food will be finger millet. And according to Bhante Sujato, finger millet is a robust secondary grain in Asia and Africa, growing in places where rice cannot grow. Due to its re, um, resilience in the face of global heating, 2023 was declared the International Year of Millets by the UN. So, did the Buddha know what we were going to go through? I don't know, but... Just as fine rice with meat is the best kind of food today, so this is, you know, the food is going to get coarser because, according to the Buddhist story here, the food is going to get coarser because the delicate foods can't grow in the uh, climate. The ten ways of doing skillful deeds will totally disappear, and the ten ways of doing unskillful deeds will explode in popularity. Those people will not even have the word skillful, still less anyone who does what is skillful. I don't know what these footnotes, I'm not remembering what these footnotes are. The narrative above tracked the gradual disappearance of these 10 factors, so we saw that earlier. Uh, what did he say about volcanoes? At, there's another reference in the Anguttara Nikaya. A sign of the end days is the erupting of volcanoes, suggesting explode for the intensive form here, I see. Okay, so putting in the word explode. 
And anyone who disrespects mother and father, ascetics and Brahmins, and fails to honor the elders of the family will be venerated and praised, just as the opposite is venerated and praised today. There'll be no recognition for the status of mother, aunts, or wives, and partners of teachers and respected people, and the world would become dissolute, like goats and sheep, chickens and pigs, dogs and jackals, or living like animals. There'll be... There'll be full hostility towards each other, with acute ill will, malevolence, and thoughts of murder. Even a mother will feel like this for her child, and the child for its mother, father for child, child for father, brother for sister, sister for brother. They'll be just like a deer hunter when he sees a deer, full of hostility, ill will, malevolence, and thoughts of killing. Among the people who live for ten years, there'll be an interregnum. Interregnum, thank you, of swords lasting seven days. During that time, they will see each other as beasts. Sharp swords will appear in their hands with which they'll take each other's life, crying, it's a beast, it's a beast. Now, that reminds me of the, the way in which populations of people look on the populations, the other populations, as less than human when they go to war. Um, we can't really see another human being there and so easily take their life. And you know how it often is, like also in uh, societies, you know, that the word for human is the word they use for themselves. Yeah. For tribes and so on, mm -hmm. and, and everything else is something else. Yeah. yeah. Something less than human. Yeah. But then some of those beings will think, let us not kill nor be killed. Why don't we hide in the thick grass, the thick jungle, the, th the thick trees, inaccessible riverlands or rugged mountains and survive on forest roots and fruits? And so they do that. You know, this is something that I understand um, a group of nuns did in Tibet. They just hid back in the mountains. In the caves, yeah. And they built their own place back there by themselves. Um, to stay safe during the, the takeover, yeah, yeah. the invasion. When those seven days have passed, having emerged from their hiding place and embraced, they embraced each other. They will welcome together, and they will come together and cry in one voice, "Fantastic, dear foe, you live! Fantastic, dear foe, you live!" In other words, they're starting to see each other. They're starting to be happy to be <laughs> to be with someone else and put aside the killing. You know, what, what does foe mean? Does it... It sounds funny, because foe is enemy. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering. So, they're seeing... Let's see what the footnote says here. Oh, it's just talking about the poly. Yeah. So, they say, fantastic, dear enemy, you live. So, you know? Yeah. It could make sense, you know? Yeah. But I was a bit confused then. Yeah. yeah. I, it's a little confusing, in, in a sense, but... You know, just kind of trying to imagine what that would be like. And we as human beings, we want love, we want community, we want support. And to have that start to emerge in this hostile environment. The pressure is just so intense, you know. Yeah. It looks like that it just becomes clear it's not a way to live. Yeah. Then those beings think, it's because we undertook unskillful things that we suffered such an extensive loss of our relatives. We'd better do skillful things. 
What skillful things should we do? Why don't we refrain from killing living creatures? Having undertaken this skillful thing, we'll live by it. So they do that. Because of undertaking this skillful thing, their lifespan and beauty will grow. Those people will live, who live for 10 years will have children who live for 20 years. So now it starts to build up again. And you see each of the 10 wholesome things starting to appear. Reflecting on the fact that the unskillful things created so much so much trouble, so much harm, so much suffering, so much sadness, so much loss. So the skillful thing, what should we do? We'll refrain from stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, backbiting, harsh speech, talking nonsense. Why don't we give up covetousness, ill will, and wrong view, and illicit desire, immoral greed, and wrong custom? Why don't we pay due respect to mother and father, ascetics and Brahmins, honoring the elders of the families? And have, having undertaken this skillful thing, we'll live by it. And so that's what they do. And because of this, their lifespan and beauty grows. And the people who live for, you know, 20 years, their children live 40 years, and so on. Finally, people live for 80,000 years, and girls become marriageable at 500. See, we're all very young <laughs> so far. <laughs> So, among the people who live for 80,000 years, there will be just three afflictions. Greed, starvation, and old age. India will be successful and prosperous. prosperous. The villages, towns, and capital cities will be no more than a chicken's flight apart. The land will be as crowded as hell with people. That's kind of like, wow. I don't know if that's an expression or a literal reference, but like a thicket of rushes and reeds. The <laughs> royal capital will be Varnasi, renamed Ketumati, and it will be successful, prosperous, populous, full of people with plenty of food. There'll be 84,000 cities, etc. You know, he's painting this picture of this royal capital, and the capital will have a king named Sanka, a wheel-turning monarch, a just and principled king. His domain will extend to all four sides. He'll have all the seven treasures, etc., and all of the um, other things a wheel-turning monarch has. And then, and then the Buddha talks about the Buddha Maitreya coming. And this is the only place in the suttas where we see reference to the future Buddha. And the only one? The only one. And the Blessed One named Maitreya will arise in the world, perfected and fully awakened, accomplished in knowledge and conduct, holy, knower of the world, supreme guide for those who wish to train, teacher of devas and humans, awakened, blessed, just as I have arisen today. I, ha I don't remember what these footnotes are saying. Let's see. This is the only sutta, <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. yeah, and Maitreya means full of love. So um, he describes um, the Buddha, and the new Buddha, and how he'll realize with his own insight and gives those qualities of the Buddha that we've talked about before. And he'll lead a Sangha of many thousands of mendicants just as I lead a sangha of many hundreds today. 
And then King Sanka will have the sacrificial post once built by King Mahapanada raised up. So this is something that they tie the animal to when they're going to sacrifice it, but they're not going to do that here. Um, he'll, having reigned, he'll abdicate, offering charity to ascetics and Brahmins, paupers, vagrants, nomads, and beggars. And shaving off his hair and beard, he'll become a monk uh, in, under the Buddha Maitreya. And soon after going forth, living withdrawn, dil diligent, keen, and resolute, he'll realize the supreme end of the spiritual life. He'll become an arahant. And he will live having achieved with his own insight the goal for which people go forth from the lay life to homelessness. So the Buddha says, live as your own island, keep the Dhamma as your refuge, etc., like he did at the very beginning of the Sutta. Now, on long life and beauty for mendicants, hmm, you should roam inside your own territory, the domain of your fathers. Doing so, you'll grow in lifespan, beauty, happiness, wealth, and power. And what is the long life for a mendicant? It's when a mendicant develops the basis of psychic power that has immersion due to enthusiasm and active effort. This is, these are the four bases of psychic power. They're called the idipada, um, and it's development of, of samadhi based on enthusiasm, energy, the mind, um, and uh, investigation. And so the, this is a whole teaching that we're not going to go into today around what those are, but that's an, a very important list uh, part of the development of uh, the path. So the mendicants should be ethical, restrained in the monastic code, etc. And develop jhanas, and develop the Brahma-viharas, and when the mendicant realizes the undefiled freedom of the heart and freedom by wisdom in this very life, because of all these um, areas of development, they'll have live having realized it for their, their own insight due to the ending of defilements. And this is uh, Arahantship. And he says, I do not see a single power so hard to defeat as the power of Mara. It's due to, due to undertaking skillful qualities that merit grows. This is what the Buddha said, and the mendicants were satisf satisfied with what the Buddha said. So this idea of merit growing from skillful qualities, uh, this is, of course, an ongoing theme and truth. So that's the sutta. And how much time do we have left? Still quite a lot. Um, 40 minutes. So 42. No problem, long sutta, we can handle that. <laughs> Do we want to go into asking if people want to have questions or should we just meditate?
I mean, I would suggest we meditate like maybe 15 minutes. Okay. And then give opportunity if that works for you. I'm fine with that. And I don't know how other people feel if you want to contemplate on this the whole day and then talk about it later. Um, but I think we can just maybe like uh, at, you know, at the full hour, just check if people would like to. Okay. Or if that's okay with you. That works for me. Mm -hmm. Because I think some of the things, you know, can be asked later, but some of the things they will just be forgotten. You pref you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. A little meditation time. Maybe we should encourage them. Do they need it? Do they know what they should do? <laughs> So we're going to sit for about 10 minutes. What you got there? Makes me think of stories of the world wars when people would aim above each other's head and trade things in between fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when it came to coming out again. The end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When everything changed, they had enough. I wonder where this man is, Rick Cooper. It's always so dark where he is. You see? In the middle? Oh, it's not always dark. He's, he's right there, all lit up, usually. Okay. But where could it be dark at this time of day? Mm. Yeah, he probably just has the Windows blackout one. shades or something. Yeah. You did that very well, Haya. Thank you. And it is true, it is quite, um, you know, it's intellectually not challenging, basically, that sutta. Mm -hmm. Right. Compared with others, you know. Which yeah, it's a, it's a story, it's relevant. Very relevant, yeah. For what we're experiencing. Yeah, totally. That's why we chose it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.